Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First. And my guest this week is Todd Churches. Todd is the CEO and co-founder of Big Blue Gumball, an innovative New York City-based leadership development and executive coaching firm. He's also a member of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches and is the founding partner of the Global Institute for Thought Leadership. Todd was recently nominated by Thinkers 50 as a shortlisted finalist for their 2021 Distinguished Achievement Award for Leadership. And he's ranked number 35 on the 2021 Thinkers 360 list of the top 50 global thought leaders and influencers in the field of management. He's a three-time award-winning adjunct professor of leadership at NYU, as well as a lecturer on leadership in various programs at Columbia University. He also has a TEDx uh, talk on the power of visual thinking. And his new book, Visual Leadership, is what we're going to be exploring today. So, Todd, welcome to People First. Mark, thank you so much for having me. It's great talking to you. And uh, I have a copy of your book, so we'll be cultivating our relationship as we uh, as we have this conversation. <laughs> you're, you're one of my, you're one of my uh, I consider you one of my allies. So hopefully we'll... Uh, Absolutely. And it was funny because I read Visual Leadership over the weekend, and I just love the fact that it does what it promises on the cover. But more on that in just a moment. Because as you know, I start every episode... Um, putting an anchor point into the leadership journey that we are all on. So when you were a wee lad and the teacher said to you, Todd, what did you want to be when you grew up? What was your answer back then? My answer was, and still is, Superman. Uh, <laughs> and I talk about it in my TED Talk and I also have that in my book as well. Um, yeah, I, as a child growing up in the, uh, you know, in the late 60s, I was hooked on television. Superman was was it. And then people would say, well, what if you couldn't be Superman? Then what would you be? And I'd say, then Batman. Like, so those were my only okay. two career options at that, at that point in my life. A caped crusader. All yes. right, then. So caped crusader by night, then leadership guru and expert by day. What was the pivot point then that brought you to Big Blue Gumball and your passion for everything leadership and management? Sure. I mean, what really triggered it, the catalyst to my diving into the field of management and leadership is I, I don't know if you know this, it's not on my bio, but I hold the Guinness Book of World Records for having wor worked for the most bad bosses of anyone who's ever set foot on this planet. So I challenge anyone to uh, to have a, you know, a bad boss off with me to see who had worse experiences. But um, I had one boss at a TV network, who, and I won't say which network, but it has a C, a B, and an S in its name. Uh, she threw a box of pens at my head because they were the wrong ones. She wanted the fine points. I got her the medium points. So that was just one. In fact, I, had, I kept an abuse log just as a sanity check. And it's, uh, I still have it. It's pages long of um, all of her, uh, her antics. So, um, but my dream was, can you, you know, seriously, um, to work. I love television. So I, I, my dream was to work in the TV industry. And everything I did, I got my bachelor's in English, my master's in communication, and then I worked in advertising at Ogilvy & Mather in New York in the media division. Great experiences, but it was very much a numbers job. So um, I packed my bags and my cape and flew out to Hollywood and had a series of part-time jobs and temp jobs and dead-end jobs. Um, I was a bouncer in a nightclub for three years uh, at night. Um, 
while I was, uh, so that was my cake crusading, was throwing drunk people out of a bar. Uh, while during the day, I worked a variety of different jobs, entry-level mm -hmm. jobs in the entertainment industry. So I worked for Michael Nesmith of the Monkees. Uh, baby boomers know who he is. I know who he is. I used to watch the Monkees growing up. I can sing all their songs, oh, yeah. not in three or four part harmony, but I can sing all this. I loved that show. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, with my millennial students, there's no name recognition at all. But uh, uh, yeah. So um, yes, yeah, so I worked for Michael Nesmith for his video production company, and uh, then I worked for Aaron Spelling. Uh, on Dynasty, just putting scripts together. And then I was in casting at Columbia Pictures, comedy at Disney, and drama at CBS. So those were my years in the TV industry. Always administrative type jobs. I couldn't crack that ceiling into a manager level job. And I realized that there were two main reasons. One was I didn't have the confidence. I always thought my work would speak for itself. And I realized you had to speak for yourself. Um, so that um, even though I talk loud and fast, I'm an extreme introvert. I always say I'm a three B's kind of guy, a back of the room behind the scenes bookworm. So I wasn't the type <laughs> to self promote. And I ended up hitting a dead end. And I left TV to go into the theme park business temporarily. And I never went back into television. But I managed a theme park project in China, which was an amazing experience. I talk about that in my TED talk. And um, but everything I did, the recurring pattern was bad bosses, and people who couldn't communicate. And I realized that one of the ways people communicate effectively is if you could communicate with visual imagery or visual language. So that kind of planted the seed for my visual leadership approach. And I'll stop there. But that's that's kind of like what led me up. After 10 years in L.A., I moved back to New York, got a job with a management training company and took a deep dive into all these management leadership books that you see behind me. Um, and then I realized that there was a better way to manage and lead. And that became the center of my focus and what I still do today. And I think that's what I loved about the book, Visual Leadership, is that you bring so many personal stories and anecdotes that really bring the models and the concepts that you share alive. Thanks. And I recognize myself in some of those stories, whether it's the BFH, boss from hell, versus yeah. the BFF, the <laughs> best friends at work, but also what you said earlier, which is asking for what you want, because you shared a story in here about not getting the opportunity to be a team leader and your boss essentially saying, oh, you want to do this? Yeah. Okay, it's yours next yeah. time around. And it's all about getting out of our comfort zone and letting others have skin in the game for our, exactly. our success. So tell me about visual leadership then. Why visual leadership? Yeah, um, again, coming out of uh, being an English major where you study with a concentration of Shakespeare and poetry, and so much of it was, and what I was drawn to was the poetic language, right? The use of metaphor, visual imagery, um, and Shakespeare was the master at that. And then working the TV industry, which is a visual medium. And it just, I always realized that, you know, most business people communicate and focus on words and numbers, right? Mm -hmm. It's Word documents and Excel spreadsheets and really bad PowerPoint slides, right? <laughs> which tend to be basically Word documents put on slides with mm -hmm. the bullet points and people just read off them. The people who do it well, people like Stubbsted and, and people who use visual imagery, whether literal or metaphorical, are excellent storytellers, right? They're, I always talk about three things, attention, comprehension, and retention. When you use visual imagery and visual language, it captures people's attention and gets them to focus because they're looking at something, increases their understanding because they're seeing it with their own eyes and they understand it better. And retention, people remember visuals far more than they remember numbers or text. So when you use visual imagery and visual language, um, and I break it down in my book in four different ways, use of visual imagery, use of mental models, use of metaphor analogy and storytelling and humor. When you use those four components interchangeably or to, in combination, 
you're much more effective. And the whole idea is to get people to see what you're saying. How do you get an idea mm -hmm. of someone else's? That's the foundation of everything we do in communication. And visuals and visual language help us to do that more effectively than words or numbers alone. So when you talk about visuals, you talk about metaphors, stories, and the mental models, yeah. which are your personal favorites? Which do you find use, you using the most, perhaps even overusing? Um, I don't know if I overuse. I, I try to use them in combination. Like, for example, in your book, you have your um, relationship ecosystem model, right? Yes. Yeah. This, this framework is basically, if once you understand this, your book basically adds the you, your stories and your examples bring that model to life. But without the framework, people wouldn't be able to remember it as clearly or as well, right? So that's the power of a mental model. It gives you a box. You don't want to put people in boxes, right? And we cliche, we want to think outside the box. You can't think outside the box until you have something inside the box, right? So we need to come up with some kind of box or framework to wrap our heads around the complexity of life, right? Um, so, and then when you supplement it with Here's a metaphor that explains it. Here's a story that will add more color to it. Um, and here's an image that you could look at. Then you're using all four in combination. So that's what I would say. It's like um, maybe if there's one that was misused or not used well enough, it would be metaphors. A lot of times these people use metaphors to the point where they're a cliche and they lose their impact. Or if you use a metaphor that doesn't resonate with your audience or listener, like I'm a big baseball fan, but I'm guessing that may you may or may not be right coming from the UK. Oh, I right? embrace that stereotype. No, I'm not. <laughs> okay. So I must, but I might use a soccer slash football yeah. analogy. Or if I'm talking to someone from Australia, I may use rugby. Or someone from India, I might use cricket. So again, you don't want to stereotype, but you need to speak the language of your stakeholder. And I think that there's one thing that's misused is people who use metaphors that actually confuse rather than clarify. So that's what I would yeah. say is try find metaphors that are more universal or that will resonate with your audience. And if we hear as speakers one more um, starfish story, I think <laughs> I will have to just get up and leave in a dramatic way. But everybody who if you don't know the starfish story, go look it up so that you know never to use it again. But it made a difference to that one. No, you have to. You have Mr. to. Mr. Uh... Churches, don't make me cut you off in your prime. <laughs> but on that note, you also talk about another pet peeve of mine: the feedback sandwich. Mm. So as a mental model, for those yeah. who may not be familiar with the feedback sandwich, give us the, the 50,000 foot airline sandwich. Well, the reason, the, reason, the reason people don't like it or have the reaction that you do is because it is misused and abused, right? Mm -hmm. It is not, Maura, you know, I love your new hairstyle. By the way, you're the worst employee I've ever had and you're fired, um, but let's have lunch next week. I just sandwiched your firing in between like two insignificant, you know, I sugarcoated, I used flattery. To me, the feedback sandwich is used, some managers don't use any sandwiching or cushioning and they just give you the bad news or just tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. They don't start with, you know, here's what went well, now let's talk about what could be better and then try to leave the person on a high note. So I break it down, I call the chapter in defense of the feedback sandwich because when used well and appropriately, it's very effective. But like any tool, it's not one size fits all. There are many, you know, if someone just made the worst mistake in their life and, you know, and, and almost put your company out of business, you wouldn't say, hey, Morg, I really appreciate your effort, right? You're mm -hmm. going to give it to them straight. So I think that's the issue. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, I assume that's why you don't like it is because it's sugarcoating flattery and it's kind of not used 
Well, it's, it's everything you just said, which is when it's wielded inappropriately, it does us all a disservice because yeah. either the message is lost, whether that's the meat of the sandwich and the bad news that you actually want me to hear, or we lose the, the, the good news, the bread yeah. that goes around it. And so I use the analogy or the metaphor of a buffet and you don't want to gorge yourself on one thing or the mm -hmm. other because you're just going to make the feedback sandwich cause you to gag. But over time, you need a little bit of dessert and you need a little bit of shrimp and you need a little bit of the, the pastrami or whatever that's catching your eye. And it's being thoughtful and deliberate that you're not just going for bad news all the time, right. but you're also showcasing and reinforcing the good and celebrating success. Yeah, yeah. If it's this kind, if you're the kind of manager who where your people are thinking, all right, he's just setting me up. Here it comes. Like they're just flattering, building up this. So it's got to be genuine and sincere, and it's got to be used appropriately. And I think the chapter, even Adam Grant, who uh, is one of the people who popularized it, we've had this email exchange going on for years, and he's he said the research shows, but I'm like reality shows. So we've been going back and forth. He's kind of he hasn't caved yet, but I'm wearing him down in terms of when used appropriately. <laughs> Um, there are times that it does work. All right. So you were telling me how, uh, obviously, in this COVID times, we've been doing a lot of work through the camera. Yeah. Smile for the camera. So yeah. you did make it into the entertainment and industry. Here we are now. Um, but you were doing a live event uh, for some investment bankers. So I'm curious, how has the experience of leading and being led been impacted, do you think, by the the work from home, work remote, distributed experience. Yeah, I mean, the, the word VUCA comes to mind, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Like I say we're living in a hyper VUCA world because it's more VUCA than ever. There's an added level of complexity when some people are in the office. When everyone was in the office, that was one thing. Then you could have the management by walking around. You can say to someone, hey, pop into my office. You can chit-chat after the meeting. When everyone was on Zoom, we adapted to that new reality. Now, and I wrote a blog post, uh, an article for Inc. called Are You Ready for the September Shuffle? It's hard to believe September's already over, but uh, it's the October Shuffle. Um, but with, the, with some people at home, some people traveling, some people in the office, it's really a higher level of, it's like herding cats, trying to figure out where people are, how to reach them. Everything's more complicated. We were just talking about booking flights and the complexities of, of that. So I think that's the thing. It's We need to realize that everyone's going experiencing what's happening now through their own you know through a new different lens basically use the visual thinking metaphor and leaders need to look at things with empathy and compassion through the lens of other people who may see things different from them in fact the the rainbow colored eye on the book represents the fact that just as no one in the world has this color eye in real life no one in the world sees things through exactly the same lens that you do right our paradigms our life experiences our um assumptions and biases all for, you know, filter out some things and let other things in. So we need to realize that our lens is not the lens, right? And we need to, what I call, flip the eye and try to look at things from multiple perspectives. So I think that's the biggest challenge for leaders is realize when you have a leader who, who I won't mention names, but the head of a global bank who said, you know what, if you don't like your commute tough, get in the office, right? Mm -hmm. it's like that's your approach. And there are people dealing with parent, with childcare issues or parents or you know, health issues, we need to figure out a way to make it work. And there's no one size fits all solution. I think that's the complexity that leaders are facing today. So I'm curious in that, um, as I shared in the introduction, you are recognized as a thought leader in our industry. 
both by Thinkers 360, by Thinkers 50, and numerous other outlets too. But on the other side of that coin, then, what do you perceive makes for a good follower? Are you a good follower in addition to being a good thought leader? Mm. Um, well, I have to realize also that just because I have certain perspectives and biases and assumptions, and not everyone will see it my way, right? Some people, um, you know, some people are. Uh, have different have a different orientation. Things that work for one person may not work for another. So I think you know diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity, those are topics that are can be check the box things or they can be, hey, we really need to reconsider everything we're doing through that lens as as one example, right? So for example, I teach leadership at both NYU and Columbia. My NYU class is on leadership and team building for HR professionals in the HR master's program. And we used to do a small one segment on diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Now it's a thread that we weave throughout the entire 14 sessions of the class. It's too big and too important an issue. And it's not just diversity in terms of ethnicity. It's gender. It is age, a generational. It is diversity of thought. We just, I think that's the thing. We, realize, we really need to realize that um, we need to look at things from different perspectives in a way that maybe we, not that we didn't have to in the past, but we didn't really give it the attention it needed and deserved in the past. So what I hear there is channel our curiosity just a little bit longer, asking questions to understand those different experiences and perspectives. Right. And, and then usually, speaking of curiosity, we need to be more like Curious George, who I keep on my desk, to remind me to always dig deeper, ask why, and look at things and, and maybe shake things up a little bit and cause a little trouble. So uh, that's one example of visual thinking. It's not just PowerPoint slides or pictures, it is using objects and props. For example, we need to be more flexible than ever. We need to sometimes bend over backwards to help to serve our clients. So again, a few more visuals from the Todd Visual Thinking Toolkit. And I was about to ask you there, who helps you to be a better person or leader? And the answer is Gumby and Curious George. Who knew? And, and, and Lucy. We, have to, we can't figure oh, out. Oh, hey, Lucy. Uh, yes. So I once used the analogy. I was talking to someone, and they said, you know, they were talking about training employees. I said, in what ways is training new employees similar to training a puppy? And I just happen to have one right here. So he's like, where did you get a puppy from? It's like a magician pulling a rabbit out of the house. <laughs> It's, always bring a puppy with you wherever you go because you never know yeah. when you mean it. But if you're using the New York subway, make sure your puppy fits in a bag. That is true. That yes. Is true. See, there's a leadership lesson. So <laughs> as you think, as we, you say, we're already at September, and by the time this episode comes out, we're steamrolling towards year end. Yeah. So what are the leadership lessons that you hope uh, we all take into 2022 and beyond? Well, I mean, hopefully – COVID will be behind us by then because, I mean, that's the biggest challenge. It's the um, one of the analogies that we always use, or Dr. Fauci used it way back when, is that, you know, it's not going to be like flipping a switch. It's going to be like turning a dimmer, right? That's a, a metaphor we've been using. It would be nice if we could just flip the switch and say, all right, back to normal, right? But it's been more like a dimmer where things open up and we dial them back. So I think hopefully by 2022, we will get back to some degree of normalcy, whatever that is, in meetings, business travel. Um, and try to, um, but a lot of people don't, some leaders want to turn the calendar back to 2019, right? And yeah. pretend that this whole thing never happened. That's not the reality either, because people have realized that some things can be done better remotely. Not everyone needs to be living out of a suitcase or on a plane 
200 days a year. I had one of my clients said so that's like, I was traveling 200 days a year. I'm like, I'm never, what was I thinking? What was I doing? I'm never doing uh-huh. that again. That's right? not a badge of honor that we want to resurrect. Yeah. And even people who are commuting two hours from Long Island into Manhattan, they're like, you know what? I'll do it one or two days a week, not five. So I think everything's going to be a negotiation. I think that's something that managers and leaders need to really realize is that we need to look at things through that lens of, is there a better way of, um, you know, accommodating everyone? Because in this war for talent, we may lose good people to a competitor. Um, if you can work virtually, you can work for anyone anywhere in the country or in the world, right? So you're not just competing for talent in your local market when you're dealing with people working virtually. So I think that's something to reconsider. And some people are saying, I, I need to be, I'll come into the office if I'm paid more, right? So should people who come in be paid more for people who get to work from home or live in a less expensive area? It's it's interesting as well. And what I'm seeing in the last 18 months is some of the predictions that Dr. Linda Sharkey and I shared in our book, The Future Proof Workplace, are coming into fruition now. And I think to your point, those conversations are going to continue to unfold and move back and forth over the next few years and decades, because presenteeism and my jacket over the back of the chair has been proven in the last 18 months not to be the measure of productivity and success. And so when you rightly point out the leaders who are saying, well, let's just go back to how it was in 2019, I think are being somewhat naive if they expect sheep-like their followers are going to just do that instead of um, finding pastures new where they can thrive and reinvest that time in whatever is important to them in that moment. Yeah. Definitely true. Definitely true. So I'm curious, in your book, you had a quote about doing something today that your future self will thank you for, or written another way, doing Mm. something today or not doing something today that your future self will blame you for. Mm -hmm. So what are you currently working on that you're either going to thank yourself for or avoid blaming yourself for? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I need to be more tech savvy. That is not my specialty. So leveraging video. again. I'm still an introvert, so using video is out of my comfort zone. Being self-promotional um, is out. So just using video more, creating one of the things on my list is to create a like an online course based on visual leadership because my book is very much set up as mm-hmm. some of the modules could be uh, you know a half hour, some could be five minutes. But I think that's one of the things that I think my future self will blame me if I don't figure out ways to repurpose some of my content to make it more global because, um, you know, you're, you're not, it's not scalable to just do things one work, in-person workshop at a time. It's hard to grow. And um, so part of me wants to help spread the word to help more people be visual leaders. So I think that's the thing that my future self will thank me for if I start laying the foundation for that now rather than a year or two or three from now saying, oh, I wish I could have, I wish I should have done that. I love the inspiration and the whole focus of visual leadership, whether it's the puppy prop that (laughs) you uh, brought in from stage right, or whether it's the picture of the flipping the switch and the dimmer switch, those are going to stay with me. And Mm. I hope that those who are listening and watching, obviously, if you're listening, you didn't get to see them. So now you need to pop over to YouTube Uh and you'll see the very cute Lucy. Um, But thank you for sharing. For those who are watching and listening to this episode, how can they learn more about your work and research? Sure. The easiest way is just go to my website, toddchurches.com, and you can find my TED Talk is right there and information about my book. My company is called Big Blue Gumball. I have a separate website for that. That's for the training and, and coaching. 
my Todd Church is more for my speaking and my book, and just go to uh, LinkedIn with me. I live on LinkedIn. I spend half my time on LinkedIn. So feel free to link in with me. Tell us, just say you saw me on Morag's show and uh, we'll happy to continue the conversation. Well, Todd, I appreciate all your insights today. Can't wait to see you again in person sometime in Manhattan. Thank you for joining me on People First. Thanks for having me, Morag. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.